0: This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. My guest is Soren Shade. Originally from West Virginia, Soren studied at Columbia University under Dr. Carl Hart, went on to produce Hamilton's Pharmacopia, and co-founded a company dedicated to the science and development of kratom as a tea. So you grew up on a family farm. That's pretty cool. What kind of farm was it?
1: Yeah, um, this is one thing I noticed that was very similar in our um, our backgrounds, especially being you're out of Pittsburgh. I'm out of the northern part of uh, West Virginia, right on the Ohio River. Oh no! Um, so shit. Pittsburgh is actually the closest uh, city to me. Cool. If I want to take a Greyhound or a Mega Bus or fly, it's an hour forty five trip up the river um, to Pittsburgh. I go, um, and your farming background, so. I'm, I am a sixth generation West Virginian, um, same farm that my great, 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 great grandfather built, that is awesome. farmhouse that my great, 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 great grandfather built. Um, and I really am one of the few people who um, in my family who have left um, from that farm um, and have gone on to do other things. Um, but it's, it was a dairy farm up until the fifties. When uh, refrigeration put the uh, milkman out of business, and we went with them, um, and so it has really just been um, a home base that we've called the farm since the, you know, since before I was born. It's 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 largely, you know, Appalachian wilderness, deciduous trees. Um, so I I spent most of my childhood. Um, not doing farming tasks per se. I mean, I tilled and I pulled up potatoes and such, but we were never subsistence farming. We were, it was, it was a, it was a place to uh, hang our hats. At the end of the day, my parents were primarily involved um, in a a small cafe pub um, business that they started in the small town, um, just trying to inject some culture back into what is ostensibly a dying community. Um, but yeah, so my, my farm background is just being an only child running through the wilderness, um, falling in love with the flora and the fauna and the fungi of the area and really just kind of obsessing over, um, you know, what, what alkaloids, what properties they have, what traditional medicinal or folk healing um, facets are associated with what Um, Just kind of looks like a forest to the untrained eye. And I, I would say that was, you know, that that origin being in nature and being surrounded by it definitely primed me for where I'm at now and what I'm doing. You went to uh, Columbia um,
0: with uh, philosophy and American studies major, so that's that's interesting that you had you had like a general interest in in science and plants.
1: Yeah, I was I was very lucky to um, the way things played out for me. I uh, received a postcard in the mail at the beginning of my senior year in high school um, that was from an organization called QuestBridge. It's for high achieving, low income students. And it was in the early stages of that organization's um, existence whenever I was reached out to it. And so I, there wasn't a whole lot of information to be found on the internet about it, but it it seemed legit. And I um, ended up applying for that. And what they did was they, um, people that were accepted into this scholarship program were were waived um, admission or, or not, not admission, but um, application fees, which are generally $80 or so for colleges. Yeah, And um, so I was able to apply to uh, 37 colleges um, once I, I got this, mostly awesome. because I knew I wanted desperately to get out of this town, which was dying and sad. And my friends had no real incentive to leave themselves. And so I felt kind of stranded and alone and yeah. saw myself just being the seventh generation to be born and die on that farm. And so I just desperately spent my whole senior year applying to all of their partner colleges. And I ended up um, getting accepted into a a majority of them. And Columbia, I actually made a little bit of money going to Columbia how well my scholarships were so that that was really the whole reason I picked Columbia was because they had such a phenomenal financial aid and scholarship package prepared for me um and so I when I entered into Columbia um my focus was on the sciences I I started off as a neuro, neuroscience major and I was um, involved at the Neuroscience Club and I was very obsessed with this but then it was towards the end of my first semester where I was just taken aback by a comment made in class um, by the professor which was just the all right you all accept the notion or the premise that free will does not exist Um, consciousness and the sensation of free will is an epiphenomena caused by neurochemical activity Bang, okay, on to the next thing. Let's start memorizing neuroanatomy. And I'm just like, whoa, we're just going to throw free will out the window like that first thing and not really talk about it. I've got some questions that I need answered. I mean, this this is very fascinating and I, I want to talk about it. Yeah. And they said, sorry, buddy, wrong department. You need to go to philosophy. <laughs> and so I went to the philosophy department. And so my, my focus has always been the phenomena of consciousness, really, and I thought the best place to explore that um, would be neuroscience. And when I got to Columbia, you know, the the first questions that I wanted to ask just did not fit that department, and so I, I moved on to philosophy. But I was I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, tailor um, my my career back down this scientifically oriented exploration of consciousness with with Hamilton, of course, you know, being the epitome of strange consciousness exploration.
0: And so you, you've been, you began working for him as a research assistant in 2018. And I guess that's um, during like the first couple seasons, right?
1: No. So I, I uh, started working with him as a researcher um, in an in interim period between season two and season three. Okay, um, and cool. he was, he actually took off um, he didn't immediately start producing season three following season two because he had a, a movie deal tentatively lined up that ultimately over some legal troubles is still caught up and there's a lot of friction surrounding it and there's really no date set as to when production of that um, will begin um, yeah and so what happened was there was this this gap and I just reached out to him and I I just kind of explained who I am and my interests and I was very willing to help. And so I worked with him as a research assistant for some written articles that he was working on at the time and got to know him. And then season three being renewed corresponded almost perfectly with my graduation and Hamilton and I had such a great working and personal relationship that he um, asked that I come on as a researcher and things just kind of went from there. And I ended up, um, we finished the season with me being credited as a producer as well as a researcher
0: that's great that's great that seems like an awesome job uh, so th- that's out now season three it just came out and uh, yes
1: yes um, do the have thing you, like have you seen any of it
0: you know what I have not seen it but I was looking I was looking through and it looks cool I like um, I'm looking at the titles and I like that there's a positive methamphetamine story uh, it kind of <laughs> goes along you know like with Carl Hart, he's talking about how he uses heroin and you know he it's it's to a positive outcome and
1: mm-hmm. what, what what was
0: your <laughs> favorite what was your favorite episode actually?
1: Oh my favorite episode. Um they all bled into each other. I think my favorite as a viewer um was Ultra LSD. Um maybe one of the first ones or my favorite to produce was um, the the first episode, which was a focused on journalist mistakes, and what's what's interesting behind that story, um, kind of tying things together with with um, with Carl Hart, was um, a good friend of mine, Sam Weber, who I, I I'm in a who who him and I are co founders of Top Tree, and we're doing the uh, tea bags. We oh, we met in Carl Hart's class um, at Columbia. Oh,
0: really? And yeah, the, he was there. That's yeah, right.
1: he's a, a Fantastic scientist, a wonderful professor, and a very generous advisor to um, you know what we're doing right now with kratom. Um, and the first reading that he had um, in class for for Sam and I and everyone else was an excerpt from a book called "Licit and Illicit Illicit Drugs" um, by Edward Leaker, I believe. Um, okay, cool. and he tells the story of a glue sniffing phenomena in Colorado in the 60s and essentially what the the crux of the story was was that there was a tiny little glue sniffing phenomena someone discovered that there was a volatile solvent in there that could have similar GABAergic effects to that of alcohol or whatnot and they would sniff this airplane glue And a journalist desperate for content um, heard about this and wrote a big story about it and following his story in which he essentially, he said, wow, kids are sniffing glue to get high. Um, What they do is they take out all the glue from and then name the product, put it in a bag and then inhale five times, breathe fresh air and then do it again. And they're getting quite the buzz. And then what they saw after that, of course, was, an explosion of glue sniffing incidents across the country <laughs> everywhere that this newspaper was was released. I mean, yeah. obviously, um, I mean, people have to learn how to do something somewhere or the other. And, and you know, the, the thesis of this was that, you know, the way that you talk about these substances and the way you present them, you know, has a bigger impact than you would think. Um, and so the first episode of pharmacopoeia um of season three um is called synthetic toad venom machine which is a different story um <laughs> begins with hamilton obsessing over the the tiny little journalist mistakes he's made in the past because we recognize how serious highly publicized mistakes like this can have especially within a world as sensitive and stigmatized and with so much miseducation prevalent as the mm-hmm. world of psychoactive substances, yeah, and so the the episodes, you know, focus was on correcting these mistakes, talking about um, a gentleman who had been ruined by um, a horrible news story about his possession of three toads, Hans Franz and Hans, oh, four four toads, Hans Franz, Peter, and Brian um in in the let's see in the 80s um and he ended up not committing a crime but because these stories were so so sensationalized um they 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 ruined his career and this was the beginning of essentially the oh you lick a toad and you can get high or lick a frog and you get high (laughs) yeah i remember hearing that yeah, which is <laughs> which is not not really true. The, yeah. the the toad in question is you probably get salmonella. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would you would you would um, at the very least get um funny looks from anyone that saw you licking these poor guys.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think I saw the clip from uh, Rogan where Hamilton was talking about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's this this has been a really big. Um, it's just it's been a big thing for um Hamilton and I and everyone else in the the. season. We've actually uh, re-released a pamphlet and some apparel dedicated to the toad and educating people that there are um, ethically better and environmentally better ways of procuring uh, 5-methoxy DMT than from the capturing and harvesting and essentially like assaulting of these toads and all the money that we've raised in the releasing of this pamphlet and apparel, which has been about $180,000 so far, which is quite miraculous. And it blows both of us away is going to toad conservation and the Michael J foundation for Parkinson research. Since the, the inspiration of of, of publicizing the pamphlet and this alternative method um, came from a gentleman named Ken Nielsen, who passed away in 2020, nineteen end of 2019, um, Parkinson's.
0: Doctor, I'm glad that you, that's cool that you had you had him as a professor. That's awesome. Excited I really love him. the guy.
1: I think what he's doing is incredibly brave.
0: Oh, yeah. The idea of coming out of the closet as a drug user, because all we see are, I mean, you, once you, you know a person uses drugs, if they have a problem with it, because then it becomes obvious. Absolutely. It's just awesome, and the book is great. It's so, it's so. He knows you can tell he knows so much. Uh, you know, uh, with all that primary research he did, and 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 he he writes it out very simply, so any idiot like me can read.
1: It. It's a wonderfully accessible book. Yeah, yeah. I, I I also loved it. He he's able to jump between being the leading expert in his field and just endlessly name studies and cite, cite, cite everything. And you just know that he's not talking out of his ass, Um, but he's also able to be it to explain things on five different levels of complexity. You know, people can, you know, sometimes, you know, people would ask what seemed like a, a very simple question in class. And, you know, he, he was able to take a breath and repeat the question and then answer it very simply and and i you know i come from you know in the middle of nowhere appalachia which is you know in the midst of what's like to be claimed the quote unquote opioid epidemic and you know coming into carl hart's class i had you know even with what i consider to be a very open mind and drug positive attitude i was still yeah methamphetamine heroin um, hard opiate opiates, you know, they're, they're not good, man. You should really stay away from them. Yeah. They are just objectively bad. And you can't tell me otherwise. Cause I have friends who've overdosed and died. I've seen mm. friends snorting them on soccer buses or on buses on the way to soccer games and, yeah. and, and just being just gonked and, you know, through high school and then, and seeing homeless people living under a bridge in a town of 4,000, you know, it's just easy to say, oh, because they're on, they're on meth, man. They're on the, they're on the dope. And you're going into Hart's class and just being, just being patiently taught how to go through the scientific um, literature, how to read, you know, studies and and dissect the bullshit from the substance and being made, you know, the, the first big, big thing you know, at the time 2018, I believe when I was in hearts class. And the big headline was 72,000 Americans died of opioids overdose in the past year. Okay, wow, that's horrible. Um, It's obviously a big problem. We need to deal with it. The New York Times reporting it on the front page. Well, let's look into that. Oh, oh, 53 or 54,000 of those were in combination with a benzodiazepine or alcohol or some other substance that um, is a... Contra, con, contraindication with an opioid that causes, you know, respiratory inhibition to uh, occur more rapidly and frequently. And that only 19,000 Americans died of opioid overdose without anything else in their substance, yeah. which according to Hart, you know, I mean, it's, that's less than the amount of Americans who die of car wrecks every year. And you don't see us scrutinizing cars for their safety um, endlessly on 24/ 7 news and and anyone that has a car is considered a bad person because they need it to help out their life and then it allowed me to you know re you know like a light bulb moment I, I kind of reframe my perspective and I've I've come home and 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 it's 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 just so obvious there's no jobs here there's a horrible education system there's Nothing to look forward to. The culture left 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. People are depressed. Yeah. Very, very depressed. People don't have health care. People can't go to the doctor. What do they do? They keep doing something that makes them feel good because yeah. there's nothing else that makes them feel good. I mean, it's it was just incredible just how much programming was overlaid on top of my eyes coming here before that and I would dismiss um, scenes of poverty as um, not my problem not society's problem it's their problem because they have self-control issues and that's it's just it's easy to say that but it's more complicated than that and people are hurting and these substances help them hurt less and Without education, um, there is a horrible, horrible liability or, or a, gr- a greater liability for abuse or danger or overdose and withdrawal symptoms because they don't know what they're doing. But yeah. that's not a problem of the substance in question. That is a problem of prohibition and misinformation proliferation. And, 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 and that's and that really kind of, you know, just that attitude, just that um, being able to read the papers um, and and dissect, you know, science from opinion was the methodology that that led to, um, you know, reevaluating my relationship with kratom, from you know, eating powder and coughing and drooling and really not liking it, but enjoying the the effect that it had on me, to reading about it and going, oh my god ever since the eight, you know, first documented use in 1826, this has been made as a tea and no one has eaten the leaf, like actually swallowed the leaf until 2000 and something. Like, yeah. why am I swallowing the leaf here? <laughs> why can't I buy a tea product? What's going, what is this conspiracy to make me hurt my stomach by swallowing grams of powdered lignocellulose that I don't need when I just want an extraction of some alkaloids that can easily be made with hot water and some lemon. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's really just how freeing that moment with heart was and just being able to, 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 to think for myself when it came to these things.
0: That the Hamilton show goes into places where these uh, substances are used traditionally, and you know, finds out the history and all that stuff about them. And um, the one I think it was season two, but but it was uh, Maria Sabina and the Mex and the.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. mushrooms mm-hmm.
0: uh oaxaca and that's that's mm-hmm. one I, i've read up on a lot uh going you know going back to first saw it on arrowwood in the 90s or something but um mm-hmm. but that's the whole that she was quoted as saying and and something i read and maybe it was a uh, uh wasson was that the guy's name Lawson.
1: Lawson. yeah
0: yeah and and uh, she said you know because all the uh, hippies came down and and it's you know bob dylan it became a cool thing uh, to go to mexico and take mushrooms with maria sabina and she was actually yeah. quoted as saying the young people in the funny clothes came and the mushrooms I'm paraphrasing, and the mushrooms. Uh, uh, and I'm also doing it in English. But she said <laughs> the mushrooms lost their power. She said that kind of speaks to misuse. We find these traditional things, and that gets me to create them. It's like you were saying. It's it's always been used as a tea now that we have kratom in america of course we have to shove it down our throats like everything else and i say that as somebody that drinks too much and eats too much food um so is there a danger i mean it's already kind of going on I, I, and i don't even want to say danger but like with kratom like with misusing it
1: with all things, you know, going back to our, our absolute, for you know, the first bit of this conversation and talking about water toxicity, um, it's, it's I, I, I tend to side with Paracelsus, um, the Swiss alchemist of the 15th century, um, who, you know, said um, the difference between a medicine and a poison is the dose, Um And of course you can, you can misuse anything. You can, you can have too much water, you can have too much coffee, you can have too much alcohol, you can have too much kratom. And the things that lead to a misuse the most, um, I don't think is the substance in question, but rather the the social context around it. Cocaine, for example, is, is um, is, is a good metaphor analogy to draw here. There's a In Bolivia and Peru, um, I spent time there, um, you know, everyone 10 to 80 always has a mouthful of coca leaves and it imparts nutritional value. It it stimulates them. They work hard all day, every day, and they're in a good mood and there's no social issues with it. But because of the context of prohibition and it being made illegal, yet it's still being highly desirable and there being a market-based around it, um, uh, the pursuit of efficiency has, has happened. And so coca is no longer consumed, uh, coca leaves, but rather it's extracted for the cocaine free base and powdered and then shipped highly concentrated form to the United States. In which now there is a danger of being crippled with withdrawal, being addicted or potentially overdosing from either the cocaine itself or something that has been spiked with it, all in the name of profit, all under the umbrella of prohibition. Mm -hmm. And so the traditional preparation of a coca tea or chewing on the coca leaf, I would say, is one of the safest things that one can do, Um, it doesn't present a lot of danger prima facie. But whenever it's then extracted and sent to the United States, and there's not a lot of education around it, it does present some danger. Mm -hmm. And I I think the same kind of economics is in place with the export and import of kratom right now, especially with the FDA's import ban, Mm -hmm. you're not getting fresh leaves shipped refrigerated um, over to the United States that are meant to be chewed one at a time after pulling off the spine and putting a little bit of sugar in the middle and, and then spitting it out after 10 seconds, as is a traditional practice, or they're not being shipped here to be made into a tea because with the water extraction, you are not necessarily getting every last alkaloid out of there. There's some inefficiency built into that tea process. And that inefficiency does play a part in the safety profile of tea versus consuming something, you know, grams and grams and grams at a time at a highly micronized powder, all in the pursuit of getting the most bang for your buck. And so I think the danger of the toxicity, the danger or the problems that come from kratom in a lot of ways. But how is it actually prepared traditionally? So traditionally in Thailand um, and Malaysia, um, wherever kratom grows, Thailand specifically for, for this context, it, it's chewed, um, it's it's, it's plucked from the tree fresh, de rolled into a tight little pack uh, or, or like a, like a, like a mini snicker bar size, um, rolled up leaf and, you know, chewed on the right side, chewed on the left side, touch your tongue all over, you touch your cheeks over and you spit it out within, um, five seconds or right about the time where you start to feel a little tingly or numbness, uh, develop in the mouth. And, and that was it that's it for them, you know, in and out. Um, they don't really swallow anything and they're utilizing a relatively small surface area of the leaf in contact with their mucous membrane of the mouth and putting it directly in contact with the blood flow and assum or presumably, um, bypassing a lot of, um, the livers of metabolic and biotransformational actions, um, being right in the blood and, um, Passing first pass metabolism, mm-hmm. um, and secondly, uh, as another way that's consumed is fresh leaves or dried leaves are put into a pot or a, a cauldron, and they let that that steep for three or four hours. And is a, there's a very long steep time associated with it, in which a lot of the um, the water is kind of boiled off so it's it's a bit more of a concentrated beverage and then today it's generally water empty empty water bottles are filled about halfway at midday and then sipped on or drank all at once to uh finish the day of hard labor um and so the the traditional methods for the um you know, use in conjunction with labor or being chewed or drank as a tea. There are other um, like folk medicinal practices that concern wrapping the leaf in sugar, yeah. and then chewing on it for, you know, several minutes, um, to, to, uh, I don't want to say sure, but the folk medicine practitioners of Thailand, um, suggest one uses it when they have a cough. It's not a tr- treatment or cure of any kind of disease. It's it. This is uh, r- this is repeating the folk practice of people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um. So I. Those are the those are the, the the traditional methods. Um. And none of them, notably, involve swallowing the leaf matter. Mm-hmm. None of them.
0: You know, cause I was going to say, cause it was in the, uh, uh, the Hamilton, uh, Kratom episode, uh, where, uh, you know, he puts in his sugar and I thought he did swallow it. I remembered it wrong, but that's just chewing and spitting it out. So there's no actual eating of the leaves traditionally at all.
1: I mean, you're chewing on it. Um, you might have a piece or two swallow down your, you know, follow down your throat, but no one's going through the process of making a big smoothie with, 20 grams of, of <laughs> leaves or or powdering it or or just eating leaves one by one and swallowing in like a like a goatwood or something that's yeah. You know, our, our stomachs are a little bit more sensitive.
0: That's, that'd be that. kind of like chewing tobacco and you know you spit that out. <laughs> I wouldn't swallow mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah,
1: one of my my favorite analogies um, is I grew up in a in a coffee shop and with an espresso machine and all that is you know we would get the coffee beans in and they would be roasted and then we would we would grind them and prepare them for the customer um but then right after they're ground just put it in a cup and give it to the customer and they take a spoon and just start chewing away on some ground coffee beans it's like no (laughs) that's not how you use coffee you know we, we we recognize that that's a a rather foul tasting way of getting the caffeine that we want from the coffee beans. You know, we, we found that you can make a a concentrated beverage we call espresso. And then even some people aren't happy with the flavor of espresso. So we've developed cappuccinos and lattes and, and milkshakes and all sorts (laughs) of delightful ways of disguising the flavor from this plant um, while still receiving the desirable effects. And with Kratom, we've we've ground up the coffee beans, we've ground up the kratom leaves, but we've stopped before we've made it something pleasurable, something good, something desirable. And you can have really simple, easy, delicious Kratom tea you can get you can get infused kratom tea with um, passion fruit or, or lemon myrtle or mint and all sorts of delicious things in it and turned it into like, The Kratom version of a cappuccino that's actually delicious in its own right and still delivers um, the effects and the properties that people want out of Kratom without, you know, getting green powder everywhere and on your face and looking like a <laughs> looking like someone that your family is going to have questions over. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I do mine in a I do mine in a French press. I think I did the lemon once, but but I, I was going to ask and and it doesn't taste that bad. I put a little bit of honey in it, not even that much. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not like people are Oh, I hate the taste of it. I take it because I have to for my pain, but it's like, why? What you have pain? Why are you torturing yourself even further? Um, but what, what what's okay? So, I mean, I've heard this everywhere, and and that your page, which I that's such a great page on there about the tea that I'm looking at right now. Um, considering the chemistry,
1: we're, uh, we're trying to we're trying to make people's lives, you know, a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I I was you know eating kratom powder for, for, for years before I had this realization and it has made a marked improvement in my life and everything from the way my stomach feels to my bowel movements. Like yeah, <laughs> eating yeah. Kratom is not, is not something I'm ever going to return to.
0: So what's um the significance of the acids and the citrus fruit? Uh, wh- mm-hmm. What does that do? Does it to, uh, how, why is it good to mix that with uh, tea
1: yeah so we're we're still digging into it um and we're we've partnered with a a big lab um, and who are, who are running some studies of that right now trying to figure out exactly what is going on but the the theory that our understanding of chemistry suggests now is that mitragenine um, and the other kratom alkaloids, um, based on the metragenine scaffold Mm -hmm. are fairly water insoluble um, and which would explain the very long steep time of the traditional um, Thai tea method of three or four hours at high high heat and boiling off a lot of the water that's that's a long time to make a tea usually doesn't when you're making something like with camilla sinensis like the typical black tea or green tea you don't Steep for that long, you get mm-hmm. the caffeine out in time. But because mytragenine and these other alkaloids are fairly water insoluble, you know, it takes a while. But adding so the theory is that adding lemon or lime or a citric acid containing fruit, it could be citric acid in of itself, um, will change the mytragenine into mytragenine with a, as a citric acid. Salt, which is there's a, a free nitrogen and in, in these alkaloids, and and attaching a citric acid to it um, makes it a salt with a lower water solubility and it precipitates faster in water that way. So mm-hmm. essentially, what you're doing is you want to have an equal amount of mytragin alkaloids with an equal amount of free citric acid um, molecules, and they will marry. And their partnership will yield a more water-soluble um, mitragynine alkaloid that has the same. This is this is again theory. It's not been tested. We're running these tests now. Um, but you know, with with similar pharmacological um, properties, um, the salt usually does not affect um, what, what salt form a, a molecule in. Usually does not affect um, the way it acts with the body. Um, but it does affect the water solubility in the tea, and therefore, adding lemon will improve the taste and make the tea um, stronger, quicker. Yes. So, so what what I do and what I, I recommend everyone—it's after a lot of trial and error—has um, been to put. I put about two tea bags into a thermos. I squeeze half a lemon over it or I give about a a tablespoon to two tablespoons worth of lemon juice concentrate. And I pour it over the tea bags and I just let it sit in the lemon juice while my water is coming to a boil. And then I'll put the boiling water over top of the, um, the lemon juice tea bag, uh, infusion and fill up the thermos, close it off um, and give it 20 minutes. So it stays at nearly boiling temperature and it is a slightly acidic solution. And after 20 minutes, I have a very effective and very delicious Kratom tea. At that point, I will add, if it's just plain Kratom leaf and lemon, I'll add, um, some sugar or honey, some hibiscus, maybe some turmeric and ginger. Um, but there are also Kratom tea bags out there now that already have other, herbal components to them like rubos or lemon myrtle or mint um, that that, you know it's all there bang for your buck bada bing bada boom you don't have to do a whole lot else um, to improve the flavor adding that lemon at that stage for a plain kratom tea is 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 crucial for for the full effect
0: looking at uh, the maximizing your brew and steep your kratom tea bags in water at a full boil for about 10 minutes now that contradicts a lot of what I've seen on the internet. People say boiling kills the alkaloids. So is that a myth? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that that's that's another question that has not been fully elucidated. Um, it would, you know, it's not it's not uncommon for molecules to be heat sensitive and degrade over time and with more rapidity at higher temperatures. Um, it, with with kratom personal bioassays, I notice that the strength um, increases um, with a higher temperature um, because while it is more likely for um, a, a molecule to, degrade quicker at higher temperature higher temperatures also facilitate a greater solubility and so it's this kind of balancing act you know the higher the temperature the more alkaloids you're going to get out of the leaf but at the same time you might be degrading it but from personal experience it doesn't seem that a 10 to 20 minute simmer or boil um, has any effect on it i've seen on youtube people have a more or less a, a low like boil um, for 3 or 4 hours to they when they like do a big weekly prep of a kratom tea and and this also kind of goes back to just reading some of these early accounts of traditional kratom use where kratom leaves were left in a pot over a fire for 4 or 5 hours to boil off half the water and i mean if if they found it to deliver the properties that they wanted well enough to continue this methodology or or continue this the the way of of making tea for hundreds of years then (laughs) that's an indicator anecdotally from a tradition not scientifically founded that mitragynine and mitragynine alkaloids have a greater um, ability to withstand heat than than a lot of these um, Reddit scientists have, um, <laughs> <laughs> have said. Yeah, um, in, but this in, is in, this is a part of the food science of of kratom tea, kratom yeah. as a food, and mm-hmm. not mitragynine alkaloids as a drug. But kratom tea as a food that um, need to be studied and that are absent right now, and that once these things will come out, much the same way that we know, you know. And if you're making coffee, you want to use around 190 degree temperature water at certain bars out of your espresso machine to get the best coffee. Like we want to know what these, what the pressure, what the temperature, what the acid, what all these come together to make the best kratom tea possible is. And so this is a lot of science that we've currently kind of we we just set the motion on right now, and we're very interested to to see the results once this comes back.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, that's another kind of misconception because some people think, well, the tea's weaker. I'm going to lose, uh, I'm going to lose all my alkaloids in that sludge. Um, so that's not exactly true at all, is it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, as a, as a tea, I mean, you, you do it right. It can, it can be potent. You want, you want to start, you want to start with one or two tea bags and, 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 Work your way up. And, and I found that most people are pretty content with when they hit the two tea bar, two tea bag mark. Even people who had been taking, you know, what was like the average of 4.2 grams of, of 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 Kratom powder a day were finding that, you know, the equivalent of four grams of crushed leaf kratom brewed into a tea. Um delivered the effects that they were used to and that they wanted. We've received um, people, you know, hitting us up on social media who said that they had had um, stomach discomfort and they were looking for um, a way to continue getting the effects that they wanted from Kratom. Why why not doing this? And they were led to tea, but they could never make it work. But then they read a blog and they, our blog, and they followed the, the, the simple process of putting some lemon and Letting it sit in a thermos in hot water for 20 minutes, he found it to be super effective. And actually, had to to tone down the amount of kratom they were using <laughs> because it ended up being too potent for yeah. them. it's good. It's almost good to hear that because it's it's a proof of concept. Like, yes, this is the right way to take kratom. It's not, it's not weaker. It is, made correctly, it can be equipotent.
0: Like it sounds like you got you're uh, doing a lot of. Uh you know, kind of just the science there itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that is mine and my co-founders, Sam's focus, you know, and, and also coming from, you know, a background and relationship with Hamilton and background with, with Dr. Carl Hart. Yeah. Um, we, we're very focused on the science and we take the truth seriously. We, we don't want to misconstrue, construe anything, um, for any kind of bottom line because ultimately that's not going to be good what what we're doing is we're really happy that we were able to improve our kratom experience with a T. and we kind of want to share that we because because kratom has you know i was just listening to your your last podcast and with um with was it gina um, uh dion dion yeah dion yeah right right because you made the, yeah. the- The mustard joke at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Dion. Um, and it's this is so important. This is so important. And and so this needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. And to take something seriously in today's day and age, you have to follow the science. And so that's that's really what we're trying to do is just reinvest um, you know, what we're able to get out of this good idea into developing the science behind kratom tea as a food product yeah, and normalize it and make it so that people don't have to be embarrassed in their use of a plant leaf that affects them positively. I mean, there was a time um, when coffee was considered a satanic activity. Bach, um, Johannes Sebastian Bach, the famous composer, wrote – a song called the coffee cantana in 1730 about a father who was threatening to take away his daughter's right to marry her beloved because she kept drinking coffee every day and it was a satanic thing like like substances go through wide societal changes and ultimately obviously coffee has managed to embed itself pretty firmly with our culture yeah. and it benefits people's lives immensely mine um and my parents and my grandparents, they all take <laughs> coffee and they benefit from it. And so that's what, I, we, I really think that Kratom could have a similar beneficial effect, society at large, if it was adopted and normalized. And really do think that following the science and presenting it as a tea are the ways to do that, are the ways to, to save it from social condemnation and to save it from being destroyed by the FDA um, because, you know, tea, tea is, you know, in, in everyone's mind, uh, a food product, yeah. not a drug. I mean, exactly. caffeine, a lot of people say is a drug, um, but the way it's it's dealt with in society is not as a drug so much as a food product. You know, the same could be said for one of the most deadly substances that we engage with regularly is out of alcohol. You know, it, it is a drug, but mm-hmm. so many people um, use it in a casual manner that, you know, by and large, one of the better ways to think about it practically is as a food item and how to hel- have a healthy relationship with it that way. And traditionally, kratom tea is a food item, and we're just trying to to, to bring it into the good graces of American society, um, as a delightful food item is Kratom tea. And, and again, I, I guess I I kind of didn't fully get into your, your question there. Um, so a lot of our, our scientific, um, ventures are, are focused on the simple food questions, nutritional value, full alkaloid profile, um, expiration dates, um just little things like that like what is an equimolar ratio of citric acid found in lemons um you know and and let the uh you know let the the, the drug research the the research into extracting individual mytraginine alkaloids and then playing around with the scaffold to develop better um opioid agonists the treatment of pain that are less addictive and don't recruit beta restine pathways like that's all good and that is definitely drug research but that kind of granularity and minutia and development of the alkaloids, yeah, um, that fits the drug world way more than a very mild tea does.
0: Do you guys? You guys have an actual? Because I'm looking at a picture of a greenhouse. Is that your greenhouse
1: with great uh, yes plants? Sir. Hell yeah! Very, that's awesome. Very proud of it. They they are mature now. They are three years old, coming on four. So they. They'll make your mouth numb chewing on it. We actually have Doctor Oliver Grundman um, nice. analyzing our tea, um, the leaves right now, the fresh leaves, um, to just to like this this first analysis that he's performing right now is focused on any potential contaminants. Like if 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 kratom like cannabis is a bioaccumulator, um, and which would explain, you know, all this, the, this talk of, of, um, heavy metal contamination, um, we would learn pretty quickly if our greenhouse was safe or not with this, with Grunman. And so we're, 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 doing that first, but they were on a winter diet, the ones that are sent with him, they, we keep them in the greenhouse and these guys grow quick. So in the winter time, huh. we, we put them on one, one hundredth of the fertilizer that they normally need, um, to keep them from growing outside their confines. And so that's what Grunman's actually digging into now. And um, just by chewing on it, I, I know they're not as strong in the winter with their diet as they are in, in the summer. And so we're just we're, we're very confident that these leaves are, are clean. They don't have any heavy metals in it. Um, yeah, but once uh, once we once we um, get this information back from Grunman, um, it'll be our, our, our leaves will have been on a, a full diet for um, several weeks, then we're going to send him some more leaves and he's going to do some more research on it. Um, and then just kind of see what the alkaloid profile of our Appalachian, uh, strain is. So, so you're in West, very you're in West
0: Virginia now,
1: you're back um, in West that's, Virginia. Uh, I've, I've been all over the place, man. COVID has just wrecked havoc of uh-huh. my, my, uh, my my landing place i mean it's but, top you know this is the blessing tree, of working online
0: it's, it's top tree tree out of uh, west virginia that's uh, we
1: are a denver based company oh cool um uh that's where um co-founder sam um he was in the cannabis industry before he decided to move on to um kratom with with this idea that we had um and he was he was with a, a startup that was focused on um cannabis um cleaning uh, decontaminating it using ozone um to to kill fungi or bacteria that were present on it so he's coming from a background in 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 cleanliness of cannabis and so we're, we're hyper focused on on that same kind of um being being very methodical and scrutinizing every bit of our plants and our greenhouse and our area to make sure that they're clean and that nothing's going to show up. And then if there anything comes up, you know, can it be clean? How could it be cleaned? You know, it's just with that background. But we're based out of Denver, which one of the great ironies of it is that in Denver, um, kratom is illegal to sell for yeah. human consumption. <laughs> and, and so that's, um, another of our big, uh, focus where is, you can
0: smell pot literally everywhere
1: <laughs> and and psilocybin mushrooms are also decriminalized That's right which That's is right. a great thing but yeah, yeah kratom is you have to put not for human consumption um we're not going to do that we're not focused on being dishonest and so what that does is that that instills a very strong and passionate alliance between us and the aka because we want to lobby we want to overturn this stupid law in denver as soon as possible um so our, our greenhouse is is right now being used only for research properties you know we're we're uh-huh. giving american leaves to any researcher that reach out to us where we're just trying to learn about it um trying to see if it's viable it's it's going to be um you know, it Q3 or maybe early 2021, um, we'll try to do some fresh leaf options, make that available um, since we are focused on this traditional aspect of it. So that gives us fresh leaves to chew on and kratom tea. Um, yeah, kratom tea is delicious um, and fresh leaves to chew on's pretty um, astringent, but there is, you know, a lot of people who have, you know, been using kratom for a long time. They have a, a relationship with it and they, they want to feel less alienated with it. And so getting a fresh leaf and they can yeah. see the whole beauty of it, you know, it is, is it's is a great experience and, and it's effective and it's, it's a little different than the tea. Um I totally don't try. Alkaloid.
0: Like I want to try ever since I saw the Hamilton episode where he choose it. I'm like, yeah, it looks pretty good. A little bit of sugar on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very important for, I think the, Kratom industry being consumers and vendors, producers, importers, everyone to um, to collaborate, to be allies yeah. right now. To, you know, you know, there's, you know, the AKA is, you know, is a great, a great, you know, figurehead in this, but it's, it's still too early to be cutthroat competitive to, to, to be doing stupid things like krypton and putting odesmethyltramidol in there because it's 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 individual like rogue players in the kratom world that are trying to get you know a quick dollar that can ruin lives literally because there are people as you very well know that get so much benefit reportedly from from kratom and and it is a story that has been told too many times and I would hate for it to be repeated for some profit motivated idiot to ruin it for everyone by, by doing something stupid. And so I, I I think that it's it right now, it's, it's, it's great for everyone to network, to everyone to be friendly to everyone talk and be open and um, you know, see this thing through the finish line. Don't, don't spike the, the football at the five yard line. We're, we're, we're so close to getting Kratom in a good spot. And I think we should all, you know, be very transparent and very collaborative, um, you know, and see us through that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Again, I just, I really want to reiterate this. Um, I've listened to, I think, all of your podcasts at this point. I've, uh, I've been doing a lot of manual work when I'm not working on a, on, on top tree, and so I always put this on the background and, um. You're, you're a great interlocutor, you have great conversations, you bring the right people on, and you're really getting the message out there. And I've got mad respect for you, Brian. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to include me with all these incredible figures that I, I look up to and idolize. So Hell thank yeah,
0: you. man, thanks. I really appreciate that, that's awesome. Thank you, Soren, Shade, and Top Tree Herbs for everything. Check out the links in the description. Check out Hamilton Season 3. Check out Dr. Carl Hart. The music is Rizy. The song is Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast was written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.